Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. Welcome, Derry. Thank you, Kevin. I'm really happy to be talking with you on this podcast. Me too. I must say that amongst all the projects that we get to interact with at Lyft Economy, there's a few that stand out to me as being especially important and timely. And timely in a, in, in a couple of ways in that there's some of the pressing crises of our time of acute suffering in the world. And there's certain projects that we've become aware of or been tracking that have existed sometimes for years or even decades that have created a track record of incredible success in doing something very important and yet for whatever reason are still not well known um, or as well known as I think they deserve to be. And I think I told you this one time, Derry, when we met that uh, um, Sean Barry, the co-founder of Lyft Economy, and I were working with an NGO called the Urban Alliance for Sustainability, where we did film nights about what we called solution projects or solutionary projects, things that we thought were really important. And we'd host these discussions with the community. And it was in San Francisco. And one night, and <laughs> believe it or not, we were using VHS tapes and a screen. And I had, I had this V, I had gotten my hands on this VHS tape of, um, it was a, I think Harrison Ford, the actor was narrating, uh, the story of the Santa Cruz homeless garden project. And we had the most enlightening and powerful discussion, um, in the room that night about how transformative a garden and farm setting could be for human transformation, uh, from an unhomed condition and uh, how ostensibly the project, how important it was and how we could imagine why isn't this everywhere? How can we make this happen everywhere? And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to learn more for and for the next Economy and Now listeners to learn more about the Homeless Garden Project. But before we get into all that, um, I'm curious about you and if you could share a little bit about kind of how you found yourself to be part of this this project that we're going to talk about in a little bit, the Homeless Garden Project. Great. Um, I think that's an interesting story. I um, studied biology at UC Berkeley and was doing research and published a paper on turtle reproductive cycles and um, was headed towards a career in doing research and um, imagined that I might eventually become a professor of biology. And um, I took a pause and had two children. And at that time, I really felt like I was the luckiest person in the world to have these two beautiful children and a home. Um, and I really wanted to find a way to give back to the community. And I just had this incredible desire to contribute in a meaningful way and in a solution-oriented way. And um, I did a lot of reading um, during that period when I was still able to be home with my children. Uh, I found this writer named Miles Horton, and he wrote a book called Unearthing Seeds of Fire. And he was 
also many years before me searching for a way that he could contribute that would be meaningful in making social change. And his, what he came up with was that the role of somebody who was not actually experiencing a social problem themselves was to bring people together and help them find their own solutions. And, um, I was looking for a way to do that. And I was also really interested in food and farming and, um, found the homeless garden project when I was doing an internship at the resource center for nonviolence. And I finally made my way there and, um, wanted to contribute and thought, well, you know, the Homeless Garden Project is this beautiful, self-sufficient community with so many elements to it that are worthy and valuable and positive. But I had such a hard time finding it, and maybe I could help get the word out about what's going on at the Homeless Garden Project. So I wanted to do a newsletter, and there was a publication in Santa Cruz called The Comic News, and they, at that time, allowed people to produce um, their own content, and then they would distribute it in their comic news newspaper. It was a very liberal paper. Um, and I went to the circle meeting that the project was holding at that time, which we still, to this day, 28 years later, still hold, um, and was going to invite people on the crew to participate in writing this newsletter with me. And I really imagined that so many people would want to contribute and, you know, the door would basically be barged down wanting to contribute. And one person did want to. And he wrote the most amazing piece. I really still think it's one of the most valuable pieces of writing about the Homeless Garden Project. And he called it a day in the life of the Homeless Garden Project. He was a Vietnam War vet, an amazing writer um, who had studied English and literature and um, really worked hard, and I got to know him well and um, learned a lot about homelessness through our time together. And then I was able to interview virtually everyone on the crew at that time and synthesize their interviews into writing that we used in the newsletter. And it did go out in the comic news, and um, then the project hired me to continue working one-on-one with the people on the crew who we call trainees. Um, and then I've just had the wonderful opportunity to fill a lot of different roles and be involved in the evolution of the project since the beginning. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious to, in a moment, have you share for listeners the how the project has evolved and what the current training and programs are of the project. But I'm wondering if we could first paint a bit of the backdrop for those who are listening who don't know about Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz County, the Bay Area, and or the condition of homelessness. And I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about some of your observations uh, for something that's been shared on The Next Economy Now before. There's a statistic out there um, frequently referenced by um, Pras Mikhail, that seven out of 10 Americans are one paycheck away from being homeless. And, um, but for some of us who are listening, they that might not be so as self-evident. I'm, I'm wondering if you could just characterize what, what's going on in the Bay Area and in Santa Cruz County now and over the last number of years, um, before we talk about the details of the programs. Yeah. 
Right. So um, I know that Santa Cruz County um, is, I believe, the fifth largest county of its size um, in terms of the relationship of homelessness to the general population. And um, in the city of Santa Cruz and the county have um, worked hard for as long as I've been working on at here at Homeless Garden Project has worked really hard to address homelessness, um, has had some really innovative initiatives and um, is working really um, powerfully with the Housing First initiative. Um, and we don't seem to be making the kind of progress that we'd like to make. Um, but there's a re- homelessness is complicated and um, there's, a, a very visible population of people experiencing homelessness in our community um, that have alienated a lot of the community um, and created a ton of stereotypes. Um, we're working with a group of people who want to use our program that can last for up to one year to get into jobs and housing. Um, and there are some people who are working with various other initiatives um, who are chronically homeless, medically vulnerable, um, and are working to get into permanent supportive housing situations. So I, I understand best the people that we work with. Um, and uh, yeah. Thank you for, yeah, painting the, some of the picture of what's happening. And I'd love it if you could now share about the programs and how they've evolved. And um, because I'm so excited about it, if you could also share some of the outcomes and results that the program, that the project has experienced historically and currently. Great. So um, the project provides um, our core program, which is connected to other programs, is our job training and transitional employment program. And that is a program that lasts for up to one year uh, and offers a really holistic approach to supporting people to make a path out of homelessness. And in that program, um, the trainees work uh, nine to two, um, Tuesday through Friday, so 20 hours a week and are paid um, minimum wage, which right now is $11 an hour. And um, they do work and training related to the operation of our farm and enterprises. We have a three and a half acre organic farm on the west side of Santa Cruz. Um, we're farming on temporary land that has been generously donated all these years since 1995 um, by a local landowner and his partner. Um, and we sell the produce that we grow through a variety of channels. We have um, a farm stand where people can come um, Tuesday through Sunday from 10 to 4 and buy whatever is being, what is ever is available to harvest. Um, and we have a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Program, um, where people become a member of the farm and they come pick up their produce every year, every week, excuse me, for 23 weeks, and we now have a four-week extension. Um, we were, in fact, the first CSA in the county, something that we're all very proud of. 
Um, it was started in 1992. And we also have a value-added enterprise. And uh, that was started as a way to provide work during the rainy season because it um, we wanted to have no disruption in our program. We wanted to um, not be leaving people um, without work during the times when it's the most difficult to be experiencing homelessness. Um, and when the project first started, we were actually laying people off, but then we um, listened to a lot of the trainees who said, well, let's make wreaths and let's make candles. And they actually brought some prototypes of those products. Um, and we just, um, in the true Homeless Garden Project fashion, we um, started really small. And then when something succeeded, we built on that and did it a little bit more until um, a few years ago, we were operating our holiday store, which ran from the week before Thanksgiving until the end of December. And we um, met and exceeded every sales goal we had ever set for that store. Um, we were using donated store space in downtown Santa Cruz Center. And uh, we asked the business owner who was allowing us to use the building if we could stay there year round. Um, so now that project has evolved to be a year-round store with also wholesale and online sales channels. Okay, so backing up and giving a better overview. Um, our job training and transitional employment program operates in two enterprises, the farm enterprises and the value-added enterprise. Um, and they both depend on our three-and-a-half-acre farm on the west side of Santa Cruz. Um, and then we have two other programs. One is uh, a support services program, and that is staffed by um, a licensed clinical social worker who supervises Masters of Social Work students. Um, and these students work with a trainee um, every week. They, each of those students has a caseload, and they work with um, a trainee every week to talk about what are their goals, how do they want to use this one-year program so that at the end of the program, they have a job and housing. And in the course of those conversations, um, there's goal setting, there's something, uh, a best practice called motivational interviewing. There's um, talking about what's getting in the way and trying to um, find solutions to the barriers that people are experiencing which can include referrals to other services. And then our last program is called Cultivating Community, and that is our community education and volunteer program. And in that program, uh, people from all over the community, in fact, all over the world, um, come and volunteer out of the farm and have that experience that comes through volunteering of learning in a very holistic way about agriculture, about addressing problems in your community, and about homelessness. And there's a real opportunity for people to understand um, the humanity of someone who's homeless and to overcome a lot of stereotypes. So um, just to go back over those programs and sort of talk about some of our successes, um, last year, 100% of the people who graduated from our training program got jobs. 75% of them also got housing. Um, 
the years before, it was about 92% and 85% prior to that. Last year, we had 2,963 people, almost 3,000 people who volunteered and provided community service um, through one aspect of the organization. Um, people volunteer, you know, just one time. Some come as individuals. Some come as groups. We have um, volunteers who staff our farm dinners and volunteers who staff our holiday store and our year-round store. Um, we also have office volunteers, and we really try to um, integrate volunteers through all aspects of the organization um, as a way of, you know, really creating that capability within the community and uh, as a way of increasing our educational value as an organization. Um, we are actually a certified service enterprise, which is something um, that comes through organization points of light that really wants to encourage nonprofits to use volunteers to leverage their mission and um, has found that service enterprises are tend to be uh, far more effective than their peers who are not service enterprises in terms of the out, outcomes and impacts that they have in the community. And then another way that we think about our success is um, the amount of income that we're able to generate through our enterprises. And last year, we brought in 28% of our income from our enterprises, 23% from the value-added enterprise, and 5% from the farm enterprises. And that was um, broken down to 3% from our CSA program and 2% from the farm stand. Every time I hear about the outcomes of the project and the various programs, I'm uh, astounded and inspired. As you mentioned before, homelessness is a complex condition arising from multiple kind of source conditions, the kind of the poverty and the associated causative agents of poverty in our society and uh, illness, um, uh, mental illness and, and um, uh, chronic marginalization in society and so many other um, related factors, a complex problem. And the integrated nature of the Homeless Garden Project, the integrated programs with this just incredible stacked set of benefits that are created for the community and the participants, the trainees, uh, this, those success rates in the high 80s and 90s or even 100% success rate in jobs in the last year from, and those are the trainees that started the program and participated for the year, correct? Those are the people who actually graduated. Who actually graduated. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just so impressive to to be, have that degree of success with the participants while creating healthy local organic food for the community and lunches for the trainees, participants, and community while having the um, destigmatizing social impact of having nearly 3,000 community members volunteer in the garden farm setting uh, along with the participant trainees, um, which starts to get, I think, at maybe the root causes of the complex condition of homelessness, creating that those bonds and connection 
and destigmatization. I mean, so powerful uh, while creating um, new enterprises that create goods for both the, the local community and then now with an online channel for people who maybe visit Santa Cruz or admire programs and want to see these types of programs and projects spread. Um, it's just a very impressive track record. Um, so thank you for, <laughs> for the, the amazing work that you're doing and continue to do. And it really inspired me to um, stay and to mm-hmm. see how we can continue to bring forth the incredible potential that the project model has to offer. Here are some things that inspire me. Um, one is just how incredibly generous um, our community is, our donors and volunteers, people. There's stories in the media about people speaking out with anger about homelessness. And um, there are fewer stories, but we see it every day that people in the community really do care about one another and want to make a difference and mm-hmm. will show up in amazing, powerful ways, creative ways, you know, and really bring their one gift, you know, to bear at Homeless Garden Project. And it really is so inspiring. Um, and I asked Angie what inspires her. Angie's our enterprise manager. And she said, um, what we grow on the farm inspires mm. her. Mm. And um, honestly, working with Lyft has inspired me a great deal. And really, it's kind of getting back to that understanding that people have their gift and we're all pulled to give our gift. And all of you at Lyft have just, you know, helped us in tremendous ways with the expertise that you have that we did not have. And then I also have this one quote um, from Gandhi that has been part of um, what's guided me here at Homeless Garden Project since the very beginning. And he said, um, I will give you a talisman. Whenever you are in doubt or when the self becomes too much with you, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest person you may have seen and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to him. Will she gain anything by it? Will it restore her to a control over her own life and destiny? In other words, will it lead to freedom for the hungry and spiritually starving millions? Then you will find your doubts and yourself melt away. And I'm super inspired by that as well. Mm. Me too. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that one. <laughs> oh, I really appreciate that, Terry. Yeah. And it's been so inspiring to see the project grow and evolve and become more capable and to, you know, at one time we were not saying that our goal was that people would get jobs and training. Um, we always, our goal was that people would increase in well-being um, and then they would decide for themselves what was meaningful in terms of a goal. Mm-hmm. But secretly, we're always wishing, you know, that people would get jobs and it made sense as a goal to us. Um, and then I was able to participate in this really wonderful uh, initiative called Working to End Homelessness National Community of Practice. And it was put together by the National Transitional Jobs Network. 
and it was a year-long community of practice with 22 agencies who were using transitional jobs as a way of supporting people to transition out of homelessness through work. And um, not, I think we were one of two organizations out of the 22 who used farming and gardening. And very inspiring, very full of learning. And at the end of that, um, our organization started talking about we really are using this transitional job strategy. We're paying people. We're providing time-limited work. Um, we should use it as a way to, we should make, we should state our audacious goal. We want people to get jobs in housing. And um, it's been inspiring to do that. Um, it's been, we, at that time, we were operating a three-year program and the National Transitional Jobs Network um, said that the average program was about six months with the range being three to nine months. So we were far outside that range. Um, and we realized that if we changed our program down to a one-year program, we could serve three times as many people. So we made that transition. And in the process of making that transition, we had to change a lot of our programming and um, really look at how do we get people right off from the very beginning thinking about where are they going at the end of that year? And um, I feel that we have um, refined our program. I'm sure there's more room for refining and improving, but um, there's been some incredible work that was done that got our program to where it is right now. And with the with the refining that's that's happened and the evolution of the the programs to where they are now, you're actually at a at an interesting moment for the project in that there's going to be there's there's a growth that's going to be happening. I'm wondering if you could share with the listeners what's next uh, imminently for the homeless garden project, um, and then at some point I want to also return to the outcomes. We talked about some of the statistics, but I also want, I, th I think I'd love for the listeners to also understand the kind of personal transformative aspect of what happens in that year with the trainees. But, but first, I'm, I'm curious if you could share about what's next for the project. Okay, great. Um, so in 1998, um, the city of Santa Cruz included Homeless Garden Project um, as having a permanent site in their 600 plus acre property. It's a greenbelt property known as Pogonip. And the city had done, um, some studies and some land use task force assessments, um, and had gone forward with, uh, an EIR for various uses on this Pogonip property, including a nine acre farm site for the Homeless Garden Project. And so 1998 was 20 years ago. Um, and it's been patiently awaiting us. Um, at the time, um, there were some issues that needed to be resolved, especially around water use. Um, and in around 2015, our organization did kind of a couple things in parallel. One was um, the board decided that they really wanted to see us um, serving more people over time. Uh, they wanted us to eventually triple the number of positions we offered. So this year we're offering 17 positions and their goal was that within five years we would be 
doubling to 34 positions, and then in another five years, we would be tripling to 50 positions every year. And the board also decided that um, they really wanted us to procure a permanent site at Pogonip um, and to begin resolving the issues that were preventing us from finalizing our operations and management plan, and then take that plan to the Parks and Rec Department and to the City Council and get approvals for a lease, which happened in 2015. So this year we um, have been working with a design team, an engineer, and an um, architect who are giving us heavily discounted rates um, and designing this beautiful site. Um, there's a West Garden component that is laid out in a bed format similar to our Natural Bridges farm site. Um, and then there's an East Garden, which is um, envisioned to be developed later. Um, we want to be very thoughtful about our design and development and we want to be sure to learn from the land before we um, take on more development so we're starting with the west garden um, this will be the first time that we've ever developed a site um, with the knowledge that we're going to be there we have a 20-year lease with three five-year renewable terms um, it will also be the first time that we'll have our offices and our farm on the same site, which will create great opportunities and efficiencies that we don't currently have. So we're um, planning for a barn and a farm center that will have some offices and meeting rooms and a kitchen and classroom space. Um, the, the farm will be accessible um, to people with disabilities and um, wheelchair accessible, which we don't currently offer. Um, and we'll also be, you know, right at the entrance to this beautiful 600-acre park and really emphasize the opportunity for people to interact with the land. And um, that was part of the master plan. Um, I'll read you that section when we have a chance later to go back to that. Wonderful. I'm super excited for, to have, see um, so many of the nonprofits that the economy has the opportunity to work with, uh, especially in the Bay Area, are struggling with having a reliable tenure, having a home, um, and to know that there's a longer-term lease situation in this transition to more space where you can integrate components of the operation and um, also do some repair work um, to the land. The development of a garden in a thoughtful way um, has chances to benefit the environment while producing this food yield. Um, but I, I, I know I happen to know because we've talked about it a lot that the, the part of the project is to do um, some restoration or mitigation um, of the development of the farm to actually restore and enhance the, um, the coastal prairie. Um, the grassland um, in, in parts of the park. So I'm super excited by all those outcomes to continue the the, the project with these programs that are already successful and just expanding your capacity to be able to work on them. I'm wondering if with those outcomes, I, 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 I want to, I, I get concerned about listeners or, or even myself starting to get addicted to the 
incredible statistical outcomes that you're creating with this with these uh, programs because it's so exciting and invigorating to know that you've designed and crafted something that is able to um, position unhomed population to enter into this program, get trained up, and then have a job, and in many cases, housing as well within a year. It's just astounding. Um, but I think it might, the statistics might betray some of the actual transform, transformative aspects of the care that's involved in the services and the other programs that you provide. I'm wondering if, if that resonates and if there's anything you want to share to have listeners understand what actually happens in that year um, with the trainings. Yeah, that's a really good and important question. Um, you know, the project, there's so many things happening at once that talking about it just really doesn't do it justice. And, um, that's one reason why we have a dinner. We have two dinners every year where we invite community members to help support the project by actually spending an afternoon and part of an evening at the farm eating really delicious food and touring the farm and, you know, just experiencing the healing power of being on the farm. And I can tell you that um, even after all these years, 27 years, I am still surprised by the feeling that I get when I walk from the street onto the farm. Every time it's um, a profound feeling of coming home. Um, so that's one aspect. Another is um, just how all the different elements of, you know, learning and being productive and contributing to the community with the food we grow and um, trying to set goals and set solving people's problems and the community that the trainees have among themselves. Um, I, I can honestly say that the support that I see that trainees provide to each other is some of the most generous uh, offerings that I've seen in my life. Um, and one of the ways that we try to get this across, you know, how all of these elements come together um, through the experience of a single person is we, a lot of our trainees um, write about their experience on the farm. And those are often um, posted on our blog. And um, one of my favorite ones was written by Lily, who was in our program last year. Um, she graduated and is now um, living, uh, doing a, her housing situation is related to her taking care of children who live in the house. And then she also has a job um, working with people who have developmental disabilities. And last year, we hosted an event that had 200 volunteers from the Permaculture Action Network, and she spoke to all those volunteers about her experience at the project and is posted on our blog, and it's called Here Amongst the Flowers and the Vegetables. And I just want to read you one little quote that she says in, in her blog post. She says, Here amongst the flowers and vegetables, we replant our own paths in life. We cry, laugh, and work together. We push forward into all we are destined to become because we have been gifted with the time to grow on the farm at HTP. And then she goes on from there. And you can find, you know, 20 other people who have existed in our program writing on the blog 
about their experience there. And if you come to one of our dinners, there's always a trainee speaking about their experience too. It's one of my favorite parts of the project is just building these bridges of connection and in humanizing a population that so often in our society is just marginalized and cast aside. Yeah. Gary, I'm, I'm wondering um, if you could share ways, I, I'm sure some listeners are thinking about just learning about the Homeless Guard Project and wondering, you know, how they can help, what they can do. Um, and I, I can think of a few ways, but I'm curious if you could share some ways that uh, people can participate. Yeah, Homeless Garden Project is definitely designed to be experienced and um, connected with. We really um, thrive and depend on um, people interacting and communicating and um, volunteering with us. Um, so everything that, every connection that we have with the community matters. Um, so we invite people to participate in all of the ways that we offer. Um, one is we have open volunteer hours Thursday and Friday, and we have group volunteer opportunities, um, and we have various specific volunteer opportunities. Our volunteer coordinator, uh, Justin Wright, is his contact information is listed on our website. Um, so you can either just drop into our farm on Thursday and Friday between 10 and 2, or you can contact him and find out more information about volunteering. Um, we depend a large part on contributions from individuals. Um, I think that we're a bit unusual in how many of our, how much of our support base comes from individuals in the community making personal contributions. Um, and there's a way to donate directly on our website. Um, I would love to talk to people who are interested in making contributions. Um, happy to give people a tour of our new permanent site at Poganip and talk about how they can be involved in that capital campaign. Um, we also really encourage people to become involved as customers. We have um, our value-added store, which is currently located in the Cooper House Breezeway on Pacific Avenue. It's a really lovely store with all of the products we make in our training program as well as some products made by local artisans who sell um, their products and then um, contribute part of the income to the Homeless Garden Project. Um, we also hold regular events there um, on first Friday and sometimes on the third first, third Friday of the month. And you actually spoke at one of those. Um, I did, yeah. A special event where you spoke about your work with Drawdown. Um, we always have really nice snacks um, and just a great feeling of community at those events. Our Value Add Enterprise also has some wholesale accounts um, locally, and we're kind of spreading out a little bit more. And we're talking with um, some of the online platforms that sell um, products made by artisans that have a social mission connected to them. Um, Serve is one example in Uncommon Dreams, and we're hoping to be able to have wholesale accounts there. And then we have our own online store. Um, and we, with those um, sales, the great thing is that even if you're local, we can ship it to somebody who lives out of town. 
Um, and then we have the sales at the farm. Um, we have some great strawberries right now. Um, really big, juicy, abundant strawberries. And you can buy those at our farm stand um, Tuesday through Sunday, 10 to 4. And we're also, um, the farm is really coming on and we grow a really wide variety of produce and flowers that um, is available for sale at the farm stand. Uh, farm stand customers are able to harvest their own produce and then pay it on their way out. So it's a really nice opportunity to um, not only get the freshest local produce that is organic that can be had, but also, you know, really have your own experience getting the produce yourself. Um, and then we also have our CSA program that starts this Friday. Um, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and people come pick up their produce every week for 23 weeks with this new option now of um, sort of a late fall tag-on, which is four weeks. Um, and we have a brand new addition, pretty exciting. We are able to um, accept EBT, electronic benefits transfer payments for both farm stand produce and for uh, CSA. So that's up on our uh, store site, um, homelessgardenprojectshop.homelessgardenproject.org. Oh, we have a great CSA is UPIC or um, pickup shares. UPIC is um, a share where you come and harvest it yourself every week, either on Friday afternoon or Saturdays. Um, and then the pickup shares we harvest, our, our trainees harvest it on Fridays. And then it's all arranged for our CSA members to come pick up every Friday afternoon during the season. Um, then we have a third kind of share that we call feed two birds. And this is um, a really nice hybrid. So a donor um, makes a contribution and their contribution pays for the training program in part and then also allows us to basically buy shares from ourselves and distribute them to agencies that work with low-income people. We're working with 10 agencies this year. Um, we have a couple new ones that we're working with. One is um, a school, Costa Noa Continuation School, that um, is working with a lot of youth who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and so now they'll be able to come pick up a share of three shares of produce every week and use it in their classroom and take it home as well. Um, and then we're also starting to do some outreach to other local schools um, who might be serving low-income children and their families. Definitely a multitude of entry points for the community to participate with the project, which I'm sure has evolved over time. And I love that there's so many ways. And for those, just to recapitulate, for those listeners who are not local to the Bay Area and maybe who don't visit Santa Cruz or haven't yet, um, the website, you can, as Derry mentioned, you can use the online store to order products to inspire your local community to develop a similar project and to share around. There's there's bath and body products and uh, food products um, available through the website. And I wanted to just accent that um, strategy of 
there could be people who listen to this who also know of other places um, in the Bay Area that might want to retail some of the products. And that might be another way to participate would be to make that connection to the project. I could imagine that being um, beneficial. But so many different ways. And I'm, I'm excited for Next Economy Now listeners to support a homeless garden project uh, in whatever way makes sense for them because we need these projects to succeed um, and become models. Um, and that's one of the, I think I'd love to just hear your thoughts on with this growth. I mean, first things first, <laughs> let's, let's grow the program per what the board has um, set out. That's challenging enough. Um, grow the program, continue the success. But I'm curious, Jerry, what, what you see um, in the long future for the Homeless Garden Project. What are some of your dreams and aspirations that um, you and maybe the board share in terms of what could happen here and everywhere? Um, well, we are interested in being able to put out a model for how other communities can do a program similar to ours. We have um, provided information to other programs similar to ours. Um, we are working with an amazing donor who um, wants to support sort of a convening of all the farms and gardens in the larger Bay Area um, who have a social mission. And we are really excited about, um, you know, when our Poganet farm is up and running, holding something um, sort of similar like to the Eco Farm Conference, the precursor to the Eco Farm Conference, with that focus on, um, with that focus on learning from each other and sharing information and knowledge about the social mission and social purposes that we all are working towards. Um, we also have started an alumni program and, you know, one of the things that we do notice is that, um, well, there are two things. One is that people, um, Change is a cycle. You know, we all go through ups and downs with changes and that change can be two steps forward and one step back. Um, and so we want to be able to be available for people as they um, continue their journey after they leave the project and be able to be a resource and a support for people who are no longer affiliated as an employee. Um, so we've started an alumni program and the current um, way that manifests is we have a monthly circle meeting with graduates um, and we would like to be looking at how to really develop that so that um, that is a really robust program um, and that people when they leave Homeless Garden Project and move into the community that they know that there's always an invitation for them to come back if they need, need or want to. Um, we envision that that could be a program where graduates could mentor people who are um, currently in the program um, and that we could be offering learning for how to make advancement in your career and so forth. I love that idea. Yeah, that sounds like a good, um, I mean, you'd have such a precious container and the graduates have done such incredible work and development through the program to come back and to have the invitation to share in that way. I think it's a really important addition. Yeah. Um, we also um, 
uh, well, I'm excited about something that is about using cognitive behavioral therapy in our social work program um, and in our overall training program curriculum. We already use motivational interviewing, and um, that is sort of about the why to make change. And then the cognitive behavioral therapy curriculum is kind of like how to make change. And it's about, you know, understanding that thoughts and feelings and behaviors are all connected and then learning the skills and practices to um, use that understanding to meet your goals and um, keep on keep moving towards your goal. Um, so I'm excited about being able to implement something like that. Um, we have some talk about, you know, other enterprises, but we haven't, um, we're really focusing on, um, being successful with what we've set out to do now. Um, and with building our farm on Poconip, um, I guess one other thing is that, um, you know, you noticed that last year, 100% of the people in our program got jobs and 75% got housing. Um, and housing is something um, that is very precious in Santa Cruz County. Um, we're one of the most unaffordable counties to live in. And um, we're looking for alternatives and strategies to support our trainees to be successful in getting housing. It's not sustainable to you know, work a full-time job without housing. Um, and we're really aware that people in our program you know, if they had housing from the outset, um, they would be in a much more stable position to succeed in working 20 hours a week and setting goals for um, getting permanent employment. There's always the expanding set of opportunities to move from something that's working and in the world of complex uh, challenges and and. Um, a world of uh, wounds and suffering, the repair work uh, kind of never ends. <laughs> There's so much for us to do. And I, I love that uh, you're on the case, Terry, and that the Homeless Garden Project is, is working to continually refine and enhance and expand. Um, and I'm excited to be tracking and supporting um, the next economy that we envision, a lift economy, um, has to work for everybody with no one left out and no one left behind. And uh, programs such as the that you offer through the project are we see as essential models that even if they're not replicated exactly, replicating them and of course adapting them to the place-based conditions and the cultural conditions that exist in in other um, other communities is uh, so critical. And so, thank you so much for being um, and championing and supporting a model that's working uh, anybody who's listening i hope you share some of what i what i feel when i think about the homeless guard project we need things that work um, and I, I feel hopeful and, and alive and enthusiastic about all the work that we're doing for the next economy the more i hear about uh, the the homeless garden project and the more I experience it. So thank you, Derry. And I'm wondering if there's any last words that you'd like to share um, in for this uh, podcast. Um, I had a couple thoughts. Um, one was just to say thank you to Lift Economy. Um, we've really learned so much from our relationship working with Lift. 
Lyft produced a seven-year business plan for the Homeless Garden Project that um, charted this uh, increase in the number of people we serve, as well as charted um, how the farm development could increase our farm income as new crops and orchards are coming on. Um, and it's been a wonderful learning experience and really showed that the project is scalable, um, really good uh, process to be able to chart a path towards growth that we want to achieve. Um, and in the process of that work that you did with us, um, you produced that really beautiful drawing. And um, I know that for me, everything is connected and um, it's challenging to speak about something that has so many interconnected pieces, but you produce that one sort of model that showed um, how all the different parts of our project relate. Do you know the drawing I'm talking about? I do. Uh-huh. And I, if there's any way to um, have a drawing with this podcast, I think that would be the one. And then there was one other piece I wanted to share t- with you. Um, it, there's this beautiful book called Poganip Jewel of Santa Cruz. Um, and it talks about um, the history of Homeless Garden Project and why um, Homeless Garden Project was included in the final master plan at Poganip. Um, and it says, in July of 1998, the city of Santa Cruz Parks and Recreation Department issued its final master plan for Poganip. The plan envisioned mixed use of the Poganip area. Its stated objective was to foster appreciation and understanding of the natural environment, as well as human interaction within the environment. And you can see how Homes Garden Project is an, a wonderful way for uh, people in the community to connect with the environment and really fall in love with the environment. And um, rather than seeing themselves as something separate from nature, um, to understand that humans are part of nature and that we have a role in um, having beneficial relationships with the nature. Indeed we do and indeed we are. Well, thanks, Kevin. It's, I love talking to you and, um, I feel so supported by you. I, it really is a gift. Like I was saying, I just appreciate you so much and hope that we get to work together forever and ever. I look forward to it. Yes. I definitely, um, want to continue to be involved in whatever way I can. And I'm a, I'm a lifelong supporter. I think it's um, the most important work, some of the most important work happening today. I know it is. Wow, it means a lot. Thank you, Derry, so much for your time. And thank you so much for your work. And we look forward to continue being a support into the future. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.